You're listening to the newest episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 81st episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you like today's podcast, be sure to leave me a review on iTunes and share this podcast with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at the Relationship Center on Facebook and or Instagram. Today, I have a very special guest, Nigel Beckles. Nigel is the author of How to Avoid Making the Big Relationship Mistakes and the forthcoming title, How to Avoid Abusive Relationships, A Guide to Toxic Personalities, due out later this year. He's a certified relationship coach, speaker, workshop facilitator, and relationship specialist. He's the creator and host of the In Conversation podcast series, where I had the pleasure of being a guest. He is also an advocate for victims and survivors of domestic abuse and a member of the Survivor Provider Series. Today, I asked him to talk about his coaching, where he helps people avoid the big relationship mistakes. Welcome, Nigel. I'm so glad you were able to join us to talk about this very important topic. Hi, Kim. Thank you very much for having me. Much appreciated. So why did you become involved with coaching? You used to be in radio, didn't you? Now you're coaching. How did that happen? In another life, I was a DJ, radio presenter. I became involved with coaching really because people tend to gravitate towards me for relationship advice. I have no idea why, but that's just been my life journey or part of my life journey. And then I decided to write the book. So that took me five years, um, research, etc. So I've done that. So after I published the book, then I thought, well, the next logical step really would be to become a coach. So I took a course and I got certified as a relationship coach. And I have numerous clients who I help out with various issues in terms of relationships. Nice. What are some of those big relationship mistakes that you talk about in your book that you see people make? Oh, there are various mistakes people make. But I think one of the biggest ones may be not paying attention to your intuition. I've made that mistake myself more than once. Because sometimes there isn't any obvious evidence that a person or potential partner may be problematical later on. But maybe that little voice in your head may be telling you, "Mm, something feels a bit off here or something doesn't feel quite right. The thing with intuition, you only get the evidence often after you followed it or after you haven't followed it. True. And I know from personal experience, anytime I haven't followed my intuition, I've paid a price, often heavy. Mm. On a personal level, I always trust my intuition. I follow it because your intuition is there to protect you. The other problem or mistake people make is ignoring red flags. Because sometimes there are red flags there waving in your face. (laughs) But often the person is too busy getting swept off their feet and falling in love. And they ignore obvious red flags. But eventually those red flags become a problem. They sure do, don't they? I think from the work that I do with couples and people who have ended relationships in service of that red flag issue, I think people believe that they can fix the other person too. Do you find that? Like, yeah, I know this is a problem, but when we get married, I know he or she will be different. (laughs) Well, one of the problems I have observed 
is people can go into relationships seeking unpaid, unqualified therapy. They may not necessarily be doing that consciously. Often it can be a subconscious kind of action, but they go in and they're not fully healed themselves. And the problem often is, is that if a person has emotional baggage and they go into a relationship, sooner or later, that emotional baggage is going to appear in the relationship. And sometimes that emotional baggage can be issues from childhood, for example, that haven't been resolved. And so they go into the relationship and then the issues start to come out. There's a saying I read the other day, it says, if you haven't resolved your childhood issues, they will be resolved in your relationship or relationships or not, as the case may be, because some people have relationship patterns. So they go into various relationships and the people they're involved with change, but the result of the relationship, which is often failure, doesn't change. So until we resolve our own emotional baggage or issues, I mean, everyone's got issues. It depends on what they are and how many they have, because Mm -hmm. some issues, obviously they need professional therapy. But if you're going into relationships, hoping your partner's going to fix you, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. (laughs) I like to talk to people about visualizing the perfect person that they're hoping for to come into their life, but then taking that added step of looking in the mirror and asking themselves, am I the person that that person is going to want to be with? And if the answer is yes, great. But if the answer is no, you have some work to do before you're going to meet Mr. or Ms. Wonderful. It's that kind of work it sounds like you do with your clients. Well, I always advocate the process of self-discovery. There's a whole chapter about that in my first book. But I think we have to take responsibility in the sense of we can't go into relationships hoping that someone is going to fix us or we've only got 50% to bring to the table. We should be bringing the best versions of ourselves to a relationship. And that's any relationship, whether it be intimate, friendship, business. I think it's important that we look at ourselves first, sort out what we need to sort out within ourselves. Then we start thinking about, oh, well, maybe I'd like to meet somebody special. Then you can start thinking about the possibility of getting back onto the dating scene, et cetera. But again, a lot of people don't want to do the work. And that is where their problem lies, because you can't go into a relationship hoping that someone is going to fix whatever issues you may have. I like that expression, pay now, pay more later. So it's like either do the work (laughs) now or you're going to be paying more later and it's Mm. going to be much worse. So are you a fan then of taking time between relationships to doing the work to figure out what was your part in that relationship and what do you need to change going forward rather than repeating the same patterns over and over again? Most definitely a fan of that. I'm very much a fan of self-growth, self-development and having an honest look at yourself. And if you're struggling with certain issues, then I advocate finding a good therapist or counsellor and going through those issues because nothing will change until you change. If you're stuck in the same pattern all the time, making the same mistakes all the time, then you're going to get the same result all the time. Right. And it's so common, at least for me, that people come to me. I am a relationship coach, but I'm also a therapist. So one thing that I don't do is I don't counsel and coach the same clients. Sometimes I have people coming to me for counseling or therapy, and I also have people coming to me for coaching. The difference for me is I don't go through childhood traumas or experiences in coaching. That's for counseling. 
What kind of things do you help people with in coaching for relationships? How do you help them avoid these big relationship mistakes? It's about setting goals. When I took my certified relationship coach qualification, what I noticed and I took on board 100% is therapy is about dealing with things from the past. Coaching is about setting goals and strategies for the future. So I've had clients approach me because I always do the 30 minutes discovery session, you know, to explore what the issues are and what they want. If it transpires that they have issues from the past I need to sort out, then I'll refer them to a therapist because I'm not qualified to deal with those issues. I'm qualified to help people set goals, realistic goals, and give them some guidance as towards is what you're looking for, is it realistic in a potential partner? Because some people have some unrealistic expectations. They're hoping, if it's a lady, she's hoping to meet a guy who's in the $100,000 bracket in terms of income. Well, not a lot of those exist. And the the field is narrow, right? (laughs) I'll tell you a story that was funny and tragic at the same time. I was doing a workshop about divorce and there was a woman in there who was divorcing her husband. And afterwards, she told me that he was a really good guy, but she was divorcing him because she consumed three to five romance novels every week. And he wasn't like the characters in the books. And I said to her, you do know that those are novels. They're not real. And she said, oh, no, they're real. And I want to find a man like that. And I thought, oh, that's not realistic either. People can be romantic, some people more than others. But to be like a character from a romance novel, I just don't know anybody that fits that bill. That would be an example of another unrealistic goal that I've come across. It's interesting to hear you talk about relationship goals, because when I talk to people about goal setting at the beginning of the year, I do some goal setting workshops for people. People often think about financial goals, work goals, but it's very rare that they set goals for relationships. So what kind of goals are they setting? Well, the question really is, what do they want? First of all, what are they looking for? And is what they're looking for, is it realistic? As you just said, you had a client who wants to find a character from a romantic novel. Well, that's not really realistic. That reminds me of one of the love myths. But it also actually reminds me of narcissism, because one of the traits of narcissism is they seek the ideal and perfect love. And again, that's not realistic. A narcissist will go into a relationship having idealized the potential partner when they get involved with the partner and then realize they're not perfect because none of us are perfect at the end of the day. Then things start to go south. There are problems because no one's perfect. So you have to have realistic goals. If I'm working with a client, I'm making sure that what they are looking for and what they want is actually realistic, first Mm -hmm. of all. Mm -hmm. And also, what are they bringing to the table? Because you have to look at yourself first. I am not a fan of, well, I'll bring 50% to the table and my other half will bring 50% because you're still at 50%, basically. That's right. I'm I'm a fan of, you know, you get yourself up to 80, 90% in yourself as a person and do your due diligence to make sure anyone you're thinking about getting involved with is on the same type of level as you. The other thing I'm very keen on, not surprisingly, is personal development. I think that's important because personal development for me is an ongoing journey because there's always something else to learn. There's always something else that you can consider. Say to yourself, well, if I added that to my repertoire, would that make me a better person? There's a lot of good answers to that question for sure. (laughs) 
What do you consider the most important aspects of coaching? Setting realistic goals, one. Two, making sure that what I am tasking my client to do is also realistic for them. Because it's Mm -hmm. not a one size fits all, is it? Everyone's different. Everyone is at different levels or different stages. So I have to make sure what they're seeking is realistic. I have to make sure that the goals I'm setting them are realistic for them. You have to tailor your coaching for that particular individual. Right. It's not a one size fits all. I remember early, early on in my career, I wasn't even a counselor at that point. I just had a bachelor's degree and I was working with some recently deinstitutionalized people with schizophrenia. And this woman came to me, I was doing counseling, I put in quotation marks, counseling sessions with them. And she told me she wanted to get a volunteer job. So my response was, oh, great, go get a volunteer job and we'll talk about it next week. And she came back next week and had done absolutely nothing. And I couldn't understand at that time, like, what was the problem? But it's so obvious to me in retrospect that this was a woman who had no skills in how to find a volunteer job. So I give her the task, go get a volunteer job. And she had no idea what she was doing. Sometimes you as the helping professional can unwittingly set unrealistic goals for clients that they just can't accomplish. You're right. So it's really important to tailor to the skills and knowledge of your client. I like that. Do you think about how effective your coaching is? And if you do, how do you measure that effectiveness? The effectiveness is very important. Otherwise, I'm wasting my time. More importantly, I'm wasting my client's time. So evaluation is important. So I have evaluation sheets for each session and feedback forms. And very similar to when I facilitate a workshop. If I've done a workshop, at the end, I'll give the participants an evaluation feedback sheet. It's just a tick box exercise, you know, scoring on how they feel on various aspects of the workshop, which is the same what I do with our coaching. Because you've got to have honest feedback to know whether your coaching or your workshop has been effective. And before you even get to that stage, what you have to do is set your goals for the coaching or the workshop. You've got to set your goals. So there's the smart system. Is it specific? Is it uh, measurable? measurable? That's the one. Yeah, I'm struggling there. (laughs) Is it measurable? Is it attainable? Is it relevant? And is it time bound? So have you set a time frame to achieve those goals? So once you've got a clear vision of where you want to go and you're clear where your client wants to go, then you're obviously in a better position. You can't coach people or deliver workshops in a vacuum. You've got to measure what you're doing. I mean, I interviewed Jane Elliott, famous diversity campaigner. I asked her the same question. Well, how do you know your training is effective? She goes back to the corporations and, you know, she gets feedback from the corporations. You have to have feedback because that way you're learning as well. There may be an aspect of your training or your coaching that you think is effective. But when you get the feedback, there may be some gaps there or other particular areas you need to look at. The other thing with coaching, people learn in different ways. Some people prefer to read information. Some people like images. Other people like a mix of the two. It's not just a question of coaching someone verbally. You know, I give them, you know, actual information. I give them homework. <laughs> mm-hmm. go, go away and complete these tasks. It can be quite intense at times, but I enjoy it. I really enjoy it. That it feels to me is not like my sole mission. Right. 
I'm curious if you would say a little bit more about what kind of goals you might have as a coach. I understand clients would have goals, but you're talking about you yourself as the coach having goals. What are some goals you might set for a session? Well, let's say it's the first session, for example. So I'm going to explore what their goals are, what do they think has prevented them from achieving their goals in the past, why they want what they want now. So those are three basics. You need to understand what the client wants, what they hope to achieve, is what they want to achieve, is that realistic? And also, if it is realistic, then what's the time frame? What's a realistic time frame for them to get where they want to go? Nigel, I've really enjoyed our conversation about coaching, and I'm wondering what your plans are for the future. Well, I have another two books planned. Working title for book two is How to Avoid Abusive Relationships, A Guide to Toxic Personalities. And then book three will be Exposing the Narcissist in Relationships. So those are my two book projects, which I hope to complete within the next six months. And keep podcasting because I really enjoy podcasting. I enjoy interviewing various people, coaches, therapists, movie directors. Just keep doing what I'm doing. But my main focus at the moment is getting the two books published. That's my main goal because they're big tasks. They're big tasks and important topics. I think that narcissism and narcissists are a big topic these days. People are talking about it. People are labeling lots of people as narcissists. I get a little frustrated with somebody doesn't agree with you. They're all of a sudden a narcissist instead of really having a good understanding of what a narcissist really is and knowing how to steer clear, how to have compassion, if that's the path you want to take, but still protect your heart with narcissists. It's really important work that you do. And I'm, for one, and very anxious for your book to come out because I know some people I will definitely recommend them to. So if we have a listener who wants to contact you, Nigel, how should they do that? They can visit my website, my podcast website, which is authornigelbecklespodcasts.com. So an S on the end of podcast. Yeah. They can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Even if they just Google author Nigel Beckles or author Nigel Beckles podcast, they will find me. I'm very easy to find online. Okay. All right. Terrific. Are you also looking for guests for your podcast? Would you want people to contact you if they want to be a guest? All the time. Always happy to consider guests. Okay. So if you're listening and you're looking for a coach on relationships, Nigel Beckles is your guy. And if you're an expert and have something you think you might want to share on his podcast, please reach out and he will consider you as a podcast guest. Thank you so much for being with us today. I always enjoy talking with you and uh, you were a guest in season two and I'm happy to have you back and possibly you'll be in future seasons coming up. So thank you very much, Nigel. Thank you very much for inviting me back. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and please remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. I anticipate you joining me next week when I'll be talking with Cheryl Plouffe about helping coaches incorporate video into their business plans. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at www.therelationshipcenter.biz forward slash podcast 
and remember to subscribe.